It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. You may have a seat. You know, I think what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus was so willing to wash the disciples' feet. Did you notice that? It was, it was my senior year of high school. I went on a, a backpacking trip with my mentor in the Rocky Mountains. And we were six days into our hike. And uh, my, my mentor came to each one of me and my buddies. And he had us take off our, our stinky, smelly hiking boots. And he got down on his, on his knees. And he started washing our feet. I was so embarrassed. My feet were so smelly and gross. I didn't want him touching my feet. And, and he got on his feet, on his knees, and he grabbed my foot, and he just started washing it. And I, I read this story, and I just see, man, Simon Peter had that same reaction. Right? He's like, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't, you have no part in me. You have no part with me. And, and, and there's a couple of things that Jesus is doing here, right? Like, he, after this, he, he said, just as I've washed your feet, like, you must go and serve. But also, this, this is symbolic of, like, Jesus washing us clean. And I think it's, it's so cool to look at this story and see Jesus' absolute willingness and desire to wash the feet of his disciples. He's like, no, you don't get it, what I'm doing right now, but you will. And what he was showing us was that he desires to make us holy. He desires to wash away our guilt, our shame, our condemnation. He desires to wash it all away. He desires to wash the past clean. He desires to wash everything up until this very moment clean. You know, Peter responded, he said, well, Jesus, not just my feet, my whole body then. And Jesus was just like, those who've had a bath, they need only to wash their feet. And I think what Jesus is getting at there is like, man, like, there's, as we go about our day, right, like, I could, we could take a bath in the day, right, and we're walking around barefoot, our feet are getting dirty, not the rest of our body, and I think what Jesus is saying is, I just want to prepare you for my presence, right, I want to clean you, I'm going to make you holy, so you can be with me, and walk with me, and talk with me, and so tonight, uh, the question I, th- I think the Holy Spirit wants to ask us, is there anything in our hearts right now, anything in our lives that we just, we feel like Jesus needs to wash, as you reflect and you just sit with, here with the Lord, asking him, Lord, what is it in my heart that you want to wash clean? What is it in my life that you want to wash away? 
See, Jesus was so willing. He was the one initiating this thing. Sometimes I think we have this misconception in our heads, like, oh, well, God probably doesn't want to forgive me of this, or God doesn't want to do No, like, Jesus was the initiator. He was the one getting on his knees to wash the feet. In the same way, he is the one waiting for us to turn to him every single second of every day, saying, Jesus, I need to be washed. I need to be made holy. So as we sit here, I just invite you, we're going to do a time of reflection right now. And what this is, is just an opportunity for you to ask Jesus, God, what is it in my life that you want to wash away? Maybe it's guilt, maybe it's shame, or maybe it's a relationship that needs to be restored. Let Let the Holy Spirit wash over that. So I'm just inviting you guys into that right now, just a time of reflection. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branches. You are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in me, or now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So about a month ago, I was, um, I was driving my car, and it was having troubles, as cars do. So um, I decided to drive it to the mechanic, and as I got to the mechanic, I was fearful. Um, this time, it seemed worse. Um, I don't drive the nicest car, so I knew that there was something wrong, and it was going to be bad. But I knew that I was going to, I, so I just went home um, after I dropped off the car, and I prayed. Um, I prayed that it wouldn't be more than I could afford, um, that everything was going to be okay, um, because the only way I was going to be okay was by a miracle. So then I received the call from the mechanic, and um, I know by two ways my mechanic gives me news. If he tells me, hey, come and pick it up, I know that everything's good. If he says, hey, uh, call me back, then I know that something's wrong. He said, call me back. So I call, so I, so I call him back, and I was like, okay, what's the damage? He said, $670. I don't have $670, so as you can imagine, I was uh, in a bit of a pickle. So thinking about, um, just thinking about my life in general, it brought up a lot of stuff that had been um, weighing on my heart, I guess. I thought about um, dropping out of school and getting a job because I could no longer afford to be in school if I needed to pay for this repair. I thought about a lot of stuff. I thought about my life decisions, and uh, maybe I should have made better ones. Maybe I should have made more timely decisions. Um, I called my girlfriend, and we were trying to develop a plan about how I would get myself out of the situation. I called my dad, and he wasn't happy um, because he also has told me about how much a piece of crap my car is. Um, and so, I, and I'm and I'm well aware, but he likes to point that out. Um, so then, I so I was so I was so I was in a rut. Um, and, I, and I felt like in that moment, I lacked trust in God. I lacked trust in God's faithfulness, and I really struggled with that. Then my mom comes home, who's more of my emotional support parent, and she's like, Ryan, is everything okay? And I said, no, everything's not okay. Usually you're like, yeah, good. But I was like, no, everything's not okay. Um, and she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, uh, my car needs repairs, $670 worth, and I don't have that. So she goes, all right, Ryan, uh, come with me. I got this big red crayon from the 90s that she stuffs coins into. So she's like, all right, I was saving this for a rainy day. And look outside, it's raining. All right, we're, we're rolling coins. So then I chose to spend my Friday night rolling coins. And then um, while we're rolling coins, my dad comes in. 
And I kind of just ducked my head because I had shame uh, because I knew what my dad was going to say. I don't even want to look him in the eyes because I knew that I was going to receive um, a lesson of some sort or um, something that I wasn't, did, that I didn't want to hear. Uh, so, as, so as we're rolling coins, my dad goes, there's no way that there's more than uh, $200, $300 in there max. Um, there was some dollar bills in there too, granted, so that was going to help me out a little bit more. So we finally get done rolling coins on Friday night at about 9.30, start counting it up, and it ended up being $625 that we rolled out of this red crayon. So then I go to the mechanic the next day um, with the cash that we received from the bank after turning in all the coins, and we get to the um, mechanic, and it looks like the bill was only going to be $600. So the big red crayon ended up paying for all of it. So this story isn't necessarily to say that God is going to provide in every, in every situation in the exact way that you want him to provide in that situation. He's not always going to give us a big red crayon um, whenever our troubles come our way. Um, but the story talks about how God works everything out for his, for his good. Because as I just read in John, in John 15, that God is a good gardener, and he's going to take care of you. He prunes the branches. He cuts off the, the bad branches. I didn't believe that he was going to take care of me in that situation. But he did. Because if we come to trust in God and abide in him and abide in his love, that he is an ever-faithful God. So in this next moment, as we go into another time of reflection, take this time to be silent in our ever-busy lives where we don't have a time to ever be still and reflect on our God and who he is and all the things he's done for us as he prepares us um, for the future and what he has in store for us. So take this moment, be in silence, and abide in him.
Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. It was actually a couple months ago, I think Pete was uh, asking me, um, so when you had your first child, was it just like you finally understood the love of God to a full capacity? And um, I kind of felt a little bit awkward with that question because um, for me, it's, it's kind of a mixed, mixed bag for our story. It was uh, about four years ago that my wife was pregnant with Jane, our first daughter, and um, and we were just looking forward to that moment of, of holding our daughter. We just found out it was a girl and holding our daughter for the first time and just that warm sense of joy like, um, like you know, an unexpected present had been given to me, like just elated. And so that's kind of what I was looking, looking forward to. That's what I was looking for. And, um, and it was different than that for us. For us, it was a little different than that. Um, the time came for Jane to be born, her due date, and... Rachel wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to come out. And so we waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And 11 days after her due date, my wife goes into labor at midnight. And I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to the hospital. Um, but it wasn't until like three hours later after that we, we were able to go to the hospital. And we, we got to the hospital, and she was laboring and laboring. And she described the pain just like abnormally strong. She's just like, these labor pains are these contractions are not like normal contractions they feel like knives like stabbing into my back and the nurse was like well it's probably because you're having back labor you know that means the baby's upside down you know turned around the wrong way and and her skull is scraping your spine i was like wow that's really intense so she's going through that for for 12 hours basically and at the end of 12 hours you know they check on her progress and she's about 20 percent of the way there it's like oh my gosh what is happening? So they gave her, you know, an epidural and um, some hormones to get the contractions going. And um, it was another 12 hours of labor before she could um, start pushing. So we started pushing. hope this isn't too graphic for you guys. But she started pushing and we're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to get the baby out. And um, I'm like cheering her on like it's a sports game or something like that. Like, come on, Rachel, you can do it, you can do it. And she's just extremely strong, super perseverance, and um, doing great, um, and she's pushing and pushing. And I'm getting tired of cheering, okay? Like, I have to step out of the room. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, but I'm a total wimp here. She's the one doing all the work. Um, and, but she's just, she's a champ. And, um, and she pushed for three hours, and the doctor came in and said, this baby's not coming out. And... Uh, we were just freaked out because this is not how we planned it going. We were like, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a good childbirth. And this would be a great story. And uh, we, I felt dread. I felt fear. 
I felt just out of control, like um, disappointed and uh, kind of hopeless. And the doctor's like, don't worry, we're going to get an emergency crew. And it was a snowstorm that night, and they had to call in the emergency crew. And they all came in, and, uh, and they, uh, they got our daughter out, C-section. And we got to hold her for the first time. And uh, it wasn't how I thought it was going to be. It was like, I was like shaking, you know. I was shaking with, uh, with just relief. I was shaking with love. I was shaking with joy. Um, and I was shaking with exhaustion after, you know, 26 hours of uh, no sleep or whatever. And uh, my wife, too, Rachel, was, we were just both, you know, holding all close together as a family. And uh, suddenly joy took on a new definition for me where it wasn't this elation of everything's great and this is just perfect. Um, it was a hard-fought joy and a joy that had grown up out of some suffering, some struggle, and it had some deep roots. And now I look at my daughter and just, um, I've got joy when I look at her because she's my daughter. And we've been through every single day since then. I've been her dad, and I uh, get to walk through every day with her. And so I, I look at this passage, and Jesus is equating childbirth, the pains of childbirth, to the joy we're going to experience together as one family in Christ um, on that last day when he comes back, when we get to see Jesus face to face, that joy, that hard-fought, long-suffering, grit joy that was uh, earned earned not by us, but by Jesus, who went to the cross and who uh, bore our sin and who fought to the end. And he calls us to do the same, to enter into that same thing, to join in with all of creation in the the labor pains of new creation that we're waiting for. So this tonight, I just um, want to invite us to have one more time of reflection that maybe there's a situation that you're in where you just feel like you're laboring and laboring and laboring, and it feels maybe stuck. And maybe Jesus wants to um, to give you that joy, that hope, that uh, that this is not that your suffering is not in vain, that uh, that this labor is not in vain, that you are um, that God is giving birth to something good in you. And um, actually, if you read before this passage. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit when he's talking about the joy. He says, um, you know, it's good that I go away. It's, it's better that I go away. I know you're going to be sad and you're going to grieve when I go away, but when I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to be your joy. You're going to have the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so um, he says, ask, ask for it. You know, ask anything in my name and you'll have it. And so um, let's just take some time right now in the midst of what you're going, whatever you're going through right now, um, if there's something you're struggling through or praying for, um, just uh, receive the joy of the Holy Spirit and um, pray for hope in the midst of that circumstance. Okay, we're going to have time to reflect right now and then we're going to have some communion together after that. Thank you.
So I'd like to invite you to the table tonight. We're going to celebrate communion together. And Jesus, the night he was betrayed, this night we've been dwelling in, Monday, Thursday, took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, given for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. And he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. By death, he means his death and his resurrection. So you're invited to the table. Let me, uh, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you long for your kids to come home. Thank you that you created us for a relationship with you and that you'll go any lengths to get us back and that you've gone every length to get us back in Jesus. That Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And then they sent out the Holy Spirit to be with us now. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just pour out right now. That the fullness of your presence and your love and your hope and your comfort and your joy would be ours tonight. And that you would make this meal more than just bread and juice, but that you would make this meal the very presence of Christ for us. That in the meantime, while we're looking forward to all that you have promised for us, while we're looking forward to new creation, while we're looking forward to joy, while we're looking forward to your return, Jesus, that we'd get a glimpse, a taste of you in this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be two servers, Travis and Wendy. And you can just come this side and go back to your seats. And we're just going to have some time to worship and pray and share communion. You're all invited.
a gift it is, God, to be in your presence tonight, to just dwell with you, to have some space to listen to your voice. Pray that the things that you have put in our hearts tonight would be planted deep into ourselves and that they'd be guarded by you and that you would uh, bear fruit in our lives and lead us to the cross. Just as Jesus got up from this meal and went boldly into what you're calling him to. May that be our story as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this has been a good time with you guys of worship. Thank you for coming. I just want to send you out with a blessing. Um, I hope I see you guys all on Easter morning to celebrate the resurrection. If some of you guys are headed off to elsewhere for spring break and stuff, go in peace. And for all of us, let's just go with the blessing of God, the Father who loves us, and God the Son who died for us and saved us from our sin, and God the Holy Spirit who fills us up and sends us out. In Jesus' name.